Coming to you from the San Jose Mercury News, the Bayery News Group, it's the TK Show. Now here's your host, Tim Kawakami. Everybody, Tim Kawakami here, TK Show. It's been a little while, but uh, we are back actually recording this from the Warriors practice site because for Warriors Plus Minus we had another guest. Uh, this guest, though, is calling in, or we called him, I think. That's actually how it happened. From Las Vegas, where he just arrived to be covering the Las Vegas Summer League. The Athletics, Danny LaRue. Danny, great to have you on. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, other than the 115-degree heat. How are you? You're the one who chose to go to Las Vegas. You're going to have to accept that one. 115 might, That's be, entirely cut, true. might be cutting you a break. That, that cab ride or, or Uber ride from the Las Vegas airport to your hotel in the dead of summer always is a fun one, isn't it? Yeah, and also that that one step you get walking off the air, airplane yes. before you get into the climate control, you're like, yeah. oh yeah, that's what I'm getting <laughs> yeah. into. I am now walking into something that's close to hell. Uh, <laughs> well, let's just talk about the summer league. You're you're heading out there. The Warriors are practicing there. The summer league team. They're they're opening tomorrow night, I guess. Uh, we talked to Bob Myers today, and he's heading out there tomorrow. Uh, what are you looking forward to in the summer league? Just uh, from Warriors' perspective and from everything else. So I'll start with the Warriors. I, I'm interested to see Jordan Bell. I mean, I've watched him on TV for a while as a Pac-12 guy. And um, and then with Patrick McCaw, whether he can shoulder a, a greater playmaking burden. I mean, one of the big questions for the Warriors moving forward is, will he be able to take on Andre Guadalla's offensive role? And if McCaw can do that, the defensive part is, is going to work itself out. He's going to be a different guy. But if he can shoulder more of a playmaking burden, he becomes a really valuable player for the Warriors. What do you think the, is the worth of Summer League? I mean, obviously, it, it's a way to look at players you don't always see uh, get very minutes, very many minutes in the, in the actual games. And during the yeah, season. But what, what, do you, what, do you, what do you think guys show or don't show in these Summer League uh, games? The most important thing that you can learn is whether a guy basically belongs or does not. And so you can tell, and it's often good to go into it with clear eyes about kind of that sort of thing. So a guy a couple of years ago that really stood out was Jonathan Simmons. Mm-hmm. He looked like an NBA athlete. At that point, he wasn't signed by anybody, and the Spurs picked him up. So that sort of thing can be good. How somebody looks athletically, physically, whether they can take getting hit on by getting hit by bigger guys, you know, that sort of thing. And so you learn that, and then... Basically, if a guy is willing to take direction and things like that, too. Yeah, in the opposite way, I, I kind of look at it as I'm being the negative kind of person I am. Like some of these guys are highly drafted. You see them out there, and they just don't look like they can play to speed. And I remember Andrea Bargnani. It's a long time ago, but that's when I remember looking at the summer league going, this guy it was number one overall pick. This guy's not going to be very good. Do you, do you have any test cases for that, anyone you remember recently? Who, who you went, uh, I don't think this is going to work. I'm sure it has happened. I'm trying to remember who it would be. Um, I, if Anthony Bennett played summer league, mm-hmm. then Anthony Bennett was probably one of those. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I, I seem bet. to remember the, the first time I saw him, whenever that was, I went, uh-oh. Like, this is a big problem. And I don't remember exactly where that was, but he is. He, it, it certainly does happen. Okay, you are someone I lean on for, for salary cap information. You are, you are one of the best guys at it, certainly. Uh, great, great knowledge of all the little intricacies of the cap. We we're just talking to Bob Myers. Obviously, the Warriors had a few interesting little dealings with the cap and will be doing so into the future. Anything that you're surprised just generally about the way, other than the Durant give back, and we can talk about that too, but uh, the what they did, uh, he Myers himself said they went over certain numbers that they had kind of going in. Are, are you surprised? What are they, about 136 now, 135? Are you surprised they're that high? I'm a little bit surprised. I mean, this was the first year that we had that as a real question about how far is ownership going to go. You know, we'd heard 
Lakeup and Goober say that they were willing to spend, but you have to actually put pen to paper to make to make that really true. The thing that surprised me, uh, and it's really one of the only criticisms I have of the offseason, is that I was surprised they gave the full mid-level yep. to Nick Young because giving him the full amount made it so that they can't give Jordan Bell a three-year contract. Yep. That was a little bit of a surprise to me, but outside of that, and maybe they didn't, maybe that's just what they wanted to do. But outside of that, the Warriors movement, the biggest thing there was Kevin Durant. Yeah, the, the give back of that. I mean, have we seen that before? I, I'm sure it's happened. I mean, the Spurs do it. The the, the map, Dirk keeps doing it. But a player of Durant's magnitude to not just take the, the you know the non max, which was the most he could have taken from the Warriors without them having to renounce Iguodala and Livingston, but to take five six million dollars less than that. Is there a precedent for this? When and how stunning was it for you to see? It was really surprising to me because the the precedent that doesn't exist is doing it without a real direct incentive. And it's possible it was presented in a way that it was like, hey, if you give up this money, we can sign Nick Young or we can give it all more. It might have been phrased in that way. I wasn't in the meeting. But let's say Miami's big three. All three of those guys technically took less than their mm -hmm. maximums to go together. First of all, they each sacrificed less than Durant, even though it was compounded over years. But also, they did it so they could play with the other guys. Durant was already on this team. If he took the 31.8, which was the original sacrifice we all penciled in, if he had done that, it would have been fine. To, to leave another 6.8, I think, on the table after that was, was very surprising. Do you think it's, I mean, there's a lot of debate over, okay, is he really giving it back to Joe Lacob? Is he giving it to his players? Where do you fall on that? I mean, is this a, is this a move that you think is player-friendly? Is or is he at some point saying, okay, the owners win, and I just have to do it for them to sign my guys to? I think it's both. It, it, it's, it's really hard. I was trying to explain this to somebody who doesn't know basket, basketball finances recently, and I said it's kind of funny money. You know, like you can kind of put it in one pot, you can put it in the other. It doesn't really matter from a rigid perspective it's really about what he was thinking and what the ownership was thinking so my approach is that it actually is more player player focused because Iguodala and Livingston got more than we expected yep. and that's where it gets interesting because it wasn't an abstract sacrifice when you see guys that we had we each had numbers in our head we talked about this yes about where we thought they were going to be and when both of those came in high it's like oh well where's this going and then to get Nick Young on top of that so I think that's the way he he is considering it and I if ownership sold it that way more power to them because that wasn't actually rigidly true i believe i was on the dan leroux podcast uh not too long ago saying i thought it would all was going to come in at 12 because i just didn't see where the 18 to 20 million dollar offer was i i may or may not have been right but i was wrong on the number uh what was your number and 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 do you think that there was movement for Iguodala that that maybe the warriors just kind of reacted to that they didn't have to yeah, my number was 14. I thought, and I thought 14 was going to be the average value, not the starting value, which is pretty much where it turned out, depending on how they structured. I haven't heard specifically whether it's going to go up or down, but yeah, it was it was a surprise, and I think part of it was maybe a little bit of negotiating leverage, but part of it was also, especially if they'd been talking with Durant, that fighting over that one to two million just wasn't really worth it with him because the possibility Andre as you know is a very prideful guy that if that's what causes it to break off it would be so disappointing for the way this team is built that's exactly what Bob Meyer said by the way exactly what Bob Meyer said that the other players uh, just said we can't lose Andre and it would be a disappointing way that for, with them in this window uh, to say it was over money, uh, if they're if they're believing that Andre could go, and you know, we'll, we'll we don't know if Andre really could have gone anywhere. Do you, where do you think the strongest offer for him would have been? San Antonio is the one that made the most sense to me because they could have used him. He would have been on a title contender, and 
in terms of the basketball parts of it that he enjoys, I think he would have liked that kind of in the same way that David West went from one to the other, just to see, you know, these two real basketball powerhouses that are run similarly, but a little bit differently, just to see how it goes. But they didn't have the room for it. I guess you're saying if they would have just got rid of a cleared, cleared the space for him, or would that have been a sign yeah. of trade? Yeah. Basically, they would have done that through cap space. They could have they could have structured their offseason differently. It looks like they're going to function like the Warriors as an over-the-cap team and then re-sign their guys, but they could have gotten Manu and, and Pau to take a little bit less, and they could have cleared enough cap space to sign him. It would have been challenging, but they could have done it. All right, now let's get to the mechanics of where the Warriors are then. Uh, let, let's say they end up at 137 or 138, wherever they end up. That's over the apron line. But does that mean, what does that mean, Danny? Okay, so it, it means a couple of things that we probably expected. So the Warriors, then, it's a you get to use a smaller mid-level exception. There are now three mid-level exceptions, so it's about, it's what Nick Young got, it's about $5.4 million. And then they don't get the biannual exception, which is about 3.3 now. So you don't get access to either one of those. You're obviously paying in the luxury tax, so you pay that money. And with the Warriors specifically, when you've already used the mid-level, really what it means is that you, you can either retain your own guys using their exceptions. So like Zaza Pachulia, they can use non-bird. But other than that, it's just minimums. So that means if, they, if JaVale McGee wants to come back, he can get a slight raise technically because he was on the minimum last year and he was on the Warriors. But other than that, they can't offer any more to any other guys. Can they take a sign and trade? No, they cannot. Okay. Yeah, if you're if you're over the apron, you are subject to what's called the hard cap. And if you're subject to the hard cap, the hard cap is at the apron. So you can't be over and under at the same time. Uh, this was when people were talking about Cleveland doing some of the more ambitious stuff. That was always the limitation with them is that once you're that far over there, you can't do a signing trade either. Okay, so is, is there practically as they go through this, what's what are we going to notice uh, by them being at this number, what are we going to notice about them? Is it just mostly the luxury tax dollars that that, that, that are going to be so? You know, obviously, they, they the, the multipliers now, you know, 350 percent or three. It's going to get up to three hundred seventy-five percent. What's what are we going to notice? Do you think with the Warriors at this high number? At this high number, the luxury tax is a big thing, but also. Other than, you know, like those limited signings, it, the way to bring guys in is by trading players that you already have. So the guy that I'm lingering on in this is Sean Livingston. So Livingston, he'll be on the team this year, but he's making about $8 million next year. And if Patrick Ricard basically takes his spot, I'm sure they'd love to have him. But if they could find somebody who's a better fit, who, you know, for maybe one of the other needs that they have, they can go in that direction. That would be a possibility. Mm-hmm. And, you know, or you could theoretically, if they wanted to lower the tax bill, they could go in that direction. I mean, this team has so much affection for each other and they're so successful that you don't usually see that get broken up. But that's really the way to get better at this point. And that's why we've kind of seen Cleveland to a point flail once they reach the threshold of the luxury tax to this level. And they could eat, they could trade. Livingston's theoretically for more money, right? Over or less money, correct? Correct. Yeah, yeah. they could do. Uh, I think it's a hundred and twenty-five percent, so they could get a little bit more. I think you get to about ten million with him, or they could go less. You know, the other team have to fit it in. Then the the restrictions are almost always on the team that's taking in more money. Yeah. So they could give him away. You know, for for a draft pick, or they could do a guy making four million, whatever works. I've thrown out Kevin Looney as somebody they might just want to give away. What's is that realistically that big a deal for them? Could, they'd have to sign. I assume they'd have to fill that roster spot. So maybe I'm saying it too much. He's making 1.5. Is is that something that you're looking at? That's something that I think they should do. I'll, I'll know a lot more once I've seen him play in summer league. But 
I think the Warriors can do better with roster spots than Looney from what I've seen so far. And I mean, this team, you you know, this players really want to be here, yep. be in the Bay Area. And so you, I think they can do better. And what they could theoretically with with Looney at his price point is they could just trade him to somebody. I would try to do it if they decide they don't want him do it before the decision on his option, yep. because he has an option not for this coming season, but for next season. And then the other team, you know, maybe they can try him out in training camp, see if they like him or not. And this is actually almost exactly what the Clippers did with CJ Wilcox last year. They traded him to Orlando. Orlando took him on. They ended up not bringing him back, but at least they got a free shot at him, basically. Yeah, and the Warriors could sign a non-guaranteed guy at that spot, or someone someone that they could actually play a little bit. I guess is what we're talking about with that roster spot. Yeah, I mean, to me, that spot if they're going to use the other two on bigs, that spot should be for a third point guard. Exactly, which they didn't have last year. Well, they had had for a little bit with Briante Weber. Then uh, the other thing I'm, I, I, it's still a little confusing to me is. If you're hard capped, and I'm, I guess the Warriors aren't, are they hard? Are they officially hard capped right now? By the way, no, they aren't. They yeah, will they are. not be hard capped okay. because if they were, if they were hard capped, they couldn't have the salary they do. So, like for example, the Clippers are. That's a good example. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you are hard capped, you lose the Gilbert Arenas protection on second round picks, right? That is. Uh, yeah, presumably, if you if you got in, yeah, because. But, you might remember this from the Andrew Bogut situation. Basically, what the hard cap does is it's a lot more like the NFL, where you cannot go over it for any reason. Mm-hmm. So this is this would have been an issue if the Contavious Caldwell Pope thing had gone differently. And yeah, so in those circumstances, you can't do anything that would put you over. That can even get into the weird math with unlikely bonuses and all no, that yep. sort of stuff. Yep. It's just it's it's a firm line. It's the only one that exists in the NBA. But the Warriors aren't going to deal with that probably for minimum six years okay. just because of how high they are in this they're just not going to do anything that would trigger it so that that leads into my question about Patrick McCaw next year uh, because he will be up he will be a restricted free agent and we all know from the Gilbert Arenas that the Warriors got screwed on that before the Gilbert Arenas rule came in effect because they could not match uh, or, or offer him anymore because they were just out of cap space so the Warriors will be protected by the Arenas rule at this number next season they can offer him the mid-level uh, and no one else could is that correct correct so basically what what the rule the Gilbert Arenas provision is now is basically that a team cannot another team cannot make an offer sheet to a player that their own team cannot match and so what that what happens with McCaw is basically that. So he can get up to the uh, the mid level exception for the first two years, and they could raise it as high as the max if they really want to. This is what happened with Tyler Johnson last summer. A team could do that, but even if they do that, the Warriors have the chance to match. It's within the rules, and so th- if they want to bring him back, they can. It's it again. You and I talked about this a little bit on my show about the word "can" isn't really as relevant for the Warriors anymore. It's will they? Yeah. Because they can match it. It's just whether they will or not. That's one thing. I think that's an important point, though, because people were looking ahead and seeing hard cap, hard cap, and, and I certainly wasn't a hundred percent sure myself and that would lead to possibly pat mccobb not being able to be matched by the warriors and and now everything i've heard today including from you is that they will have the ability to do this and that's a big deal because pat mccobb is going to be somebody they're going to need in in the coming years as some of their older players uh, perhaps go decline including the two that they just resigned with all on livingston so that's good to know and and it's important and it's a it's a salary cap detail. I think it's, it's important. A lot of a lot of people need to know. Let's move on to other things uh, in the league. We just saw uh, kind of a recent r- rush of movement, kind of the third wave, second wave of free agency trades. Uh, the Tim Hardaway offer sheet by the New York Knicks, $71 million, four years. Daniel LaRue, explain that one to me if you possibly can. 
The Knicks are the Knicks. <laughs> I think that's probably the best explanation. I mean, Hardaway is a talent offensively. I think he can score, but I don't totally trust his defensive improvement, and I don't think he can be the guy. I, they're paying him, you know, about seventeen million a year. When you're do, I think even even though cap salaries are higher now than they were before, if you're paying a guy seventeen million, he's going to be a centerpiece for your team. I haven't seen that from Hardaway, and it just seems really misguided. It's also crazy. He's going to make more than his dad, his dad's yep. entire career on this contract. You know, and Tim Hardaway was a vastly superior player at the peak of his powers and even off the peak of his powers. You know what it seems like to me is like you're almost saying, well, one, the Knicks are saying they have more money than anybody, and it, it just does not matter to them, uh, even in a salary cap world. Two, I don't think Carmelo Anthony's long for that team because you're going to have Tim Hardaway Jr. and Carmelo Anthony on the floor together very much? That doesn't seem to work to me. Yeah, and also they paid a bunch of money to Courtney Lee last year, yep. and Courtney Lee plays shooting guard too. So I, I, I don't understand the Knicks. I've kind of given up on understanding the Knicks because they keep – I mean, they, they fired their president tw- like oh, two weeks after giving him $25 million. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's absolutely – unconscionable what what they've done in that circumstance and you know I, I people think sometimes that i relish poorly run teams and i absolutely do not i want every team to be well run and ha- me have less material but i just know that's never going to happen who's your big winner out of the free agency period so far this is going to sound really surprising because they haven't done anything yet the lakers hmm because there are two big things that we've seen. One, Paul George went to a place where I don't expect that he will love it there. I mean, he's played on good teams before. This isn't anything new for him. He was on a team that made the conference finals. And because LeBron James is looking a little bit more towards other places, from what I can tell, you know, it's it's not like I have any intel in his camp. But if you're the Lakers now, and the other big thing that happened with them is I think the Clippers spent their money recklessly. So now if you want to go to L.A. and play for a good team, you're going to the Lakers. And so now there are going to be probably like six max level free agents, at least two of which are going to be looking for somewhere to go. And the Lakers can just say, why not here? Yeah. And, and getting out of that Mozgov deal, even though it cost them Russell, not terrible. I mean, just to get out of that. I mean, we're going to look back on Mozgov and Dang as uh, two of the worst deals maybe in the last five years of NBA history. The Hardaway deal is right up there, and I guess Joachim Noah last year's right up there. Well, and it's but funny those... because Hardaway, Noah, and Dang all made almost identical money. Yep. About $70 million, something like that? Yeah, yep. just about. Yeah. Uh, that's not, not so good in a shrinking environment, uh, which I guess they didn't even realize. Uh, other than the Knicks, uh, is there a team out there that you really didn't like what they did? It's it's a little too early to say definitively what they're. I I, I think both the well the Cavs are a loser because they just haven't gotten better, mm-hmm. and then the Celtics. I'm wondering where this goes because they basically they've kind of committed to Isaiah Thomas long term because they don't have another way to get a point guard, yep. and now they just traded away Avery Bradley, the guy who is the other guy who can guard point guards on their teams. They have a lot of talent. They have a lot of assets. But when I look at, okay, how are they going to get from here to potentially beating the Warriors for a championship? I think that's, I think that's very different. And, and as you know, we've talked about this a little bit. I focus more on the teams that have championship based upside, just because they're the ones we're going to be talking about for years to come. Yeah. There are other teams that spent money foolishly and recklessly, but the Celtics, they, they have the potential to be a championship team. Yeah. I mean, you know, then you get yeah, you give up, sacrifice Avery Bradley. Uh, you don't have a Linux. I mean, I don't. Neither one of us are going to say Linux a difference, but they yeah, they have sacrificed some talent. And I still go back to they traded a number one pick, and they could add Markel Fultz. And 
that one, yeah, you're right. That's how you, by just by making that decision, you're basically committing to Isaiah Thomas, right? That's, you know, you, there's no way around that. If you draft Markel Fultz, then you start thinking about moving Isaiah Thomas, and this does seem like a commitment to Isaiah. It's a lot of pieces moving, and we know Danny Ainge loves a lot of pieces. Do you think, you've, you've said you, you don't love what they did, but do you think they're a legitimate option to come out of the East now? Yeah, I think they're a legitimate option to come out of the East. I think they're better probably than they were last year. But the problem is you have to be a lot better to be up there with Cleveland. I mean, Cleveland last year basically just toyed with the entire Eastern Conference and then won it going away. And I think that certainly, I mean, Warriors fans know this better than almost anybody. Like, you're always one injury away if you're that close. And that's pretty much the way that I see it with them. So the other problem for Boston is that I wonder, and this is, again, a thing that would be cool with the top 16 format, how they would fare against basically any of the top teams in the West in a seven-game series. But they can get there, and if you can get there, that's enough. Who's the uh, top threat for the Warriors then, Danny? Uh, could you repeat that? Uh, who's the top threat for the Warriors then, if you're looking at this going into, into next May and June? I think it's still Cleveland. Mm-hmm. LeBron is still in the conversation, if not the best player on the planet. Kyrie Irving is incredible. And the other teams, it's built on question marks right now. Like, if Houston works, their ceiling is crazy high. But we have to actually see it. Oklahoma City, if their ceiling works, I I don't think offensively they're going to have enough. And then the team that surprised me the most with this is the Spurs. They're basically running it back. And I I think they probably had the best chance of beating the Warriors last year. It was just that that Kawhi sprained his ankle twice in game one. So... I think it's probably the Cavs with the Spurs number two, but I give I give Houston credit because they have they've made a big swing and I think it could work. You don't think Rudy Gay coming to the Spurs changes the dynamics of the West? I, I laugh about that because I make fun of Rudy Gay, but I think he's he's a decent enough player. Although I, I guess he's still injured. Uh, I I just laugh because Rudy Gay and Lamarcus Aldridge, their two big acquisitions the last few years, are two guys that the Warriors have very little problems with, in my opinion. Well, yeah, and I mean the other part with Rudy Gay is. Pop hasn't really gone to those small lineups very much. I mean, he's basically used Kawhi Leonard at Power Forward as a last resort. And that's what they're going to have to do constantly to beat the Warriors. And they, I think they need a different crop of centers. We don't know exactly what they're going to do there. But if it's Powell and somebody else, those guys aren't going to be super valuable against Golden State. Uh, we've seen that before. All right, Danny, listen, I'm taking up your time. Appreciate it. I'm going to ask you the same question I ask everybody on this podcast. Uh, Danny LaRue, what's your favorite restaurant? The best meal I've ever eaten was at Atelier Crenn in San Francisco. No. Say that one again. I don't even. I'm not familiar with that one. Uh, Atelier Crenn. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the the main chef is Dominique Crenn. She's incredible. I think it has one Michelin star. It was. I went. My sister took my family as a Christmas present. It was unbelievable. What, what neighborhood is that in? I think it's 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 kind of off Lombard. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to think of what that technically is. It's it, it's. Amazing. I haven't been to all the places you've been to, but mm-hmm. it was it was spectacular. Fantastic. Anytime I hear a new one in the city, I'm always appreciative. All right, Dane, listen, enjoy Las Vegas. We know you love it, that heat. Maybe it'll get up to 120 for you. Uh, stay out of there. Stay hydrated. Uh, don't go do like I did one time. One time I went jogging around uh, downtown Las Vegas in 115. It wasn't too fun. So I imagine you'll stay. You'll be wise enough to stay away from that. Absolutely, but thank you so much for having me. You're right, Danny. Appreciate it. Everybody, it's Danny LaRue on the TK Show. Thanks for listening.